Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of In Friendship, Take Action in COVID. The NAFC held a webinar on COVID-19 and COVID-19 vaccines hosted by Candy Palmiter with a panel consisting of the National Association of Friendship Centers, Executive Director Jocelyn Formsma, and Indigenous medical professionals, Drs. Janet Smiley and Nell Wyman, where they answered questions about COVID-19 and COVID-19 vaccines. This episode is the audio from that webinar. Enjoy. Hello there and welcome to this wonderful webinar called Take Action in COVID. My name is Candy Palmiter. Bonjour mes amis. For those of you who are French, you can listen to this webinar in the French language. Simply go to the bottom of your page. You'll see a little icon that looks like a globe. It says interpretation. Click on it and then select French and you'll be able to listen to this whole thing um, in the French language if that is what you would like. So um, we are going to get right into this webinar. This is uh, a wonderful opportunity for you to be able to ask questions to some experts in the area of COVID. I am coming to you from uh, basically the greater Toronto area, Midtown Toronto, um, the unceded territory of the Mississauga, the Credit, the Haudenosaunee, uh, the Wendat people, but I am Mi'kmaq from the East Coast from Mi'kma'ki, part of the Wabanaki Confederacy, uh, Ilver Bar specifically. And it is my thrill to be your hostess for this evening. This is being brought to you um, by the National Association of Friendship Centers. Um, and we are gonna have a section where I am gonna ask questions to the panelists, which they will introduce themselves here in a moment. And then we're gonna open it up to you. So from the very beginning, I'd like you to go in the questions or in the comments section and put any questions or things that you would like to hear discussed. This is the place to get your questions answered. This is not about um, making anybody feel bad or guilting anybody or anything else. It's about getting information out there. I'm thrilled to say I'm fully vaccinated. I had the most hilarious, hilarious experience. I was vaccinated in my car and in the exact moment that I was vaccinated in my right arm, a hornet stung me in my left arm. And I'm gonna tell you that the vaccine was no problem. That, that just healed up, went away within you know, a couple of hours. That hornet's thing, I dealt with for a week. So um, I would say vaccines, safer than hornet's things. <laughs> um, but I wanna now introduce um, the panelists to you for this evening. Actually, I'm gonna get them to introduce themselves. We're gonna start with Dr. Nell Wyman. Could you just uh, tell folks a little bit about yourself? Great, thanks, Candy. Um, hi, everybody out there. Uh, good to really not see you, but <laughs> be able to share our, our knowledge with you. So my name is Nell Wyman. I am originally from Little Grand Rapids First Nation, which is part of the Anishinaabe Nation and Treaty 5 territory, though I now live, work, and play on the traditional unceded and continuously occupied territories of the Coast Salish people, the Musqueam, the Squamish, and the Tsleil-Waututh Nations. I'm a psychiatrist by training uh, and worked clinically for over 20 years in Ontario, and then I moved to British Columbia almost four years ago and I work at the First yeah, Nations Authority as the acting deputy chief medical officer. I've made the switch to public health and I'm really happy to be here today and happy to answer your questions. Thank you very much, Dr. Nell. Um, before I come to the yeah. other two panelists, I can hear that uh, grandmother Irene has okay. her, her uh, speaker on. I can hear her son or somebody talking in the background. So maybe we'll go right to grandmother Irene for an opening prayer. And maybe, uh, Grandmother Irene, can you hear me? A little bit louder, please. No, she will when I turn up the volume. Oh. Where's the volume? Okay. The volume? Don't you love? Don't you love these webinars in the time of COVID? Where's your Ruko? This at the very beginning of COVID, my brothers and sisters are all in their seventies, and I, I told them I was going to teach them how to Zoom, and this is kind of what it looked like. Can you hear me now? She's managed to mute herself, I think. Thank you, Nick. Nick Forster said, I can hear you. <laughs> That's great. That's good to know. Okay, while, while Grandmother Irene is trying to figure that out, we're going to go to Dr. Janet Smiley. If you could give a, an introduction of yourself, please. Tansy, uh, everyone. Um, and uh, thank you, Candy and uh, Tansy, Grandma Irene, 
Um, so nice to see you soon. You'll be able to uh, connect in Zoom and do that opening. Um, so I'll keep myself intro short. Um, I am Red River Métis um, with roots um, across the prairies, um, though actually my mom, uh, Mavis Whitford, moved to Tacaronto um, in the 50s. So I have spent most of my life um, in this territory of the um, Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, Mississaugas, um, and here on Wendat. Um, I'm a family doc for 28 years. Um, I love to uh, spend time in First Nations, Inuit and Métis communities as a clinician and uh, equity-focused researcher. Um, so that's me. You know what I love about our community? Uh, a decorated doctor comes <laughs> on the talk and the first thing I see in the, in the chat is, hi, it's Auntie Jackie. So your Auntie Jackie says hello, Janet. Yeah, nice to see you. <laughs> How are you doing, Grandmother Irene? Are you uh, are you able to do your prayer now? She's muted. You're muted. You're muted. If you go down in the left hand corner of your screen, you'll see a microphone, and um, you should be able to unmute that, unless the administrators have you muted. Here she goes. Okay. Yes, we can hear you. Welcome. All right. You want to close the door? Yes. Okay. Good evening. Good evening, everybody. It's nice to be here with you. My, my name is Grandma Irene Linson. I was born in Wanerobatar, Saskatchewan, and I went to the rest of the school for eight years in Bethlehem, Saskatchewan. I'm the mother of six and the grandmother of seven. And my spirit name is Eagle Eye and I'm from the Wolf And it's an honor to be here today. Let us consecrate it again with us today as we discuss all these things that's been happening lately, which is a lot of things are happening in our communities all over. And there's so much, so much that we have to think about, I guess. And you know, we ask later to be to be here for us, to keep us strong and to keep us safe from all the things that are happening. And for our, our little ones, the ones that are cold and hungry, may they have some place to go when it's cold. And they ask the to send these little ones to us, direct them to us so we can start them off in a better way of living for them. And we also ask the creator to Look after our elders, the ones that are sick, that's what somebody's looking after. And also our spirit, our sisters and spiritual guiding lines. Let us pray for the families that are agonizing the work today. <coughs> and for our people, the ones that are dying of AIDS, may they have a lot of windows that they assign the babies for them, windows in the love love and peace there for them and for all the things that we need to do i know it's a lot i can feel it there's a lot of hurt and pain it doesn't make any difference where you go it doesn't make any difference where you fight it's there so these are the things that are happening all over and for us to be there for our work our community is very important. So we ask the creator to keep us strong as lessons on the roses and make sure that you look after yourself too. There's a lot of times because there's so many things happening, so much work to be done. You lose track of yourself and you just keep on going. That's not good either. So we need to look after ourselves first because we need to be there when they need us. Not sick and dead because we only get it. So these are the things that I like to pass on because I know the work when you see me every day. You want to be there. You come first to the thing and you do that. So let us ask the prayer for all these things that people ask, ask for and for us to be strong for all of you, all of you girls. I hope that you are. All strong and safe as you will. 
with different people. So let us have a good evening. Thank you very much, Grandmother Irene. I appreciate that. It's an amazing thing about this time of COVID that we can be locked down in our bedroom for two years, and yet I've been able to get prayers and songs all via this wonderful thing called the internet. Um, we got two of our panelists introduced, which gave our final panelists a little bit of time because you just made an eight hour drive and tried to really quickly eat a little bit of grub before coming on. So maybe it worked out well that it took just a minute before I could inter introduce Jocelyn Formsma. Would you like to uh, introduce yourself to the crowd, please? Um, I'm joining you from Algonquin territory, but uh, yesterday I took a boat and then a train and then drove eight hours uh, from my home community in uh, Moose Cree, uh, Moose Factory Island, uh, Northern Ontario, uh, down to, to join you. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you all. Um, we and, and thank you, Candy, for, for hosting. Um, as the NAFC, we've just wanted to try to get as many um, people uh, to have accessible information. And um, as many of us in our communities know, you know, we trust our aunties and we trust uh, people that know our communities well. And um, we've got some wonderful aunties here who also just happen to be brilliant uh, medical practitioners and I personally believe have saved many lives um, with their work over this last year and a half and, and well before that because they've been doing wonderful work in our communities for, for so long and um, just so happy to have them here and and I won't be contributing to the medical piece but I, I'm here to share um, about what I know about what some of the friendship centers have been doing and, and how our communities have been responding in the urban spaces so thank you so much to everybody for being here um, and uh, we, we, we hope that this will be really valuable information for everybody. Awesome thank you Jocelyn. Wow Moose Factor you really did make a trip. I did comedy there about three years ago and Man, the plan, plane landed on a dirt runway and then they put me on a pontoon boat. And it's one thing to get a big woman on a pontoon boat, getting a big woman off a pontoon boat, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Uh, but yeah, what a lovely community. I'm so glad you made that drive safely though. I know it's a long haul. You got the fancy boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I wanted to start by just asking you, each of you in turn to say what you think is the most important piece of information you would like to get out about vaccines or, and or, uh, the biggest part of misinformation that you've been hearing um, as we've been moving through this vaccination process. Um, and maybe I'll start with you, Dr. Nell, if you're okay with that. Yeah, I'm perfectly fine. Most people call me that. Um, so I think the most critical piece of information I want to share, and it's probably similar to what Dr. Janet will be sharing is first and foremost, the vaccines save lives and they are one of our best tools to combat the COVID pandemic. As of August 24th here in British Columbia, where I'm based, uh, comparing fully vaccinated individuals, that means two doses, um, compared to those who are fully vaccinated to those who are unvaccinated. Um, unvaccinated individuals are 12 times more likely to become a case, so to get COVID, are 34 more times to be likely to be hospitalized, and are eight times more likely to die. So vaccines work and they prevent serious and outcomes of COVID, including death. So that's a really important piece, I think, for people to know. The most important piece of misinformation, and I'll be really brief, is we hear, I hear a lot about um, concern around the mRNA technology. And people are like, wow, like that's going into my cells and it's gonna change my DNA. Um, but briefly, because I don't want to take up too much time, it, it does not change your DNA. It does not go into the nucleus of your cells and change where the DNA is. But mRNA technology has been around for decades. 
actually, and was utilized in this case to develop the COVID vaccine. It's been used in other vaccine technology and including targeting specific cells uh, in developing cancer treatments. So I think many people think this came out of the blue. It was something brand new. And that's, I think, a piece of misinformation that is good to clear up. Mm, thank you. That is one that I've been hearing a lot of. So I'm glad you brought that up. I want to remind everybody watching, you can jump into the Q&A at any point and write questions, which I will ask the panelists at the end. Um, you have Indigenous women doctors here. I mean, this is an incredible thing and incredible to have access to. So please take advantage of that and ask questions and do not feel bad about nobody's going to jump on you. Nobody's going to make you feel bad if you have, you know, if you really feel you don't want to be vaccinated for a reason, get it out there and we can and we can talk about it. This is a place of love and disinformation sharing. Um, and with that, I'd ask Dr. Janet, could you say what you think is a piece of really important information and then a piece of maybe misinformation that you'd like to clear up? Yeah, for sure. Um, and um, like Dr. Nell said, um, yeah, a lot of uh, similar ideas and thoughts. Um, I guess the one thing that I want to share is that like, I'm not surprised, like we would anticipate that First Nations, Inuit and Métis people would be suspicious, right? Of anything that comes in from outside our community, something that was developed really quickly, right? So um, by large pharmaceutical companies, right? That are not necessarily our allies. Um, so um, I think that what I would like to just say is, yes, but bad things like can still produce a tool that's useful, right? So, um, you know, I'm Métis, we took Scottish carts. So um, I think some Scottish people did some good things and some bad things to my Cree relatives, right? Um, but we made them into Red River carts, we changed the parts, right? Our, my ancestors in Treaty 6 fought to have that medicine chest clause in there, right? So our ancestors for a long time understood that from outside of our community, there could still be things that are useful tools. So yes, we need to be aware of who's giving us these things and you know what kinds of systems they come from. There could be systems and values different than ourselves, but it's just a tool, right? And then maybe there's some people on the call that don't use anything like from like settlers or colonizers, right? But yeah, many of us are driving in cars, like we're eating like a whole bunch of food Right. So I think that um, that's an important thing is to understand we still need to be very critical. Um, but here you got I, um, you know, I'm an activist. I'm very critical, like of pharmaceutical companies. But this is a tool. Right. People go to the hospital and they get a cast when they have a broken bone. Right. There's lots of technologies that we're using. How many people ate a hot dog? Right. Like in the last month. Right. That has a whole bunch of additives in it. Okay, the other thing, just to um, build on what Nell said, it's actually kind of a clean vaccine, right? So we actually, so DNA to RNA to making the spike protein, that's a one-way street, right? So RNA cannot make or change DNA. And you actually pee it out. You pee out the mRNA because it is just a protein. That makes another protein that you pee out right? So it's gone. It doesn't really, it's actually a really clean um, vaccine in terms of interactions. Um, so the last piece of this information that's really common right now is people like, well, why should I even get it? Because it's not working against Delta, right? But basically it went, like if it was a five out of five star vaccine against the other COVID variants, it's now about a four and a half out of five star vaccine. So it's still way better in mm -hmm. terms of being effective. So it's gonna save your lives, right? Um, like keep you out of hospital, keep you from getting very seriously ill, like reduce your chance, like from a high possibility of getting quite sick because Delta is a big bully virus um, to reducing it quite a bit. So it is true that we can still transmit Delta when we're doubly vaccinated. We can still get Delta when we're doubly vaccinated. So that's why it lost half a star, right? But actually we don't get very sick with it and it's harder for us to transmit it. Um, so it's still a four and a half star vaccine. 
um, against Delta, which is a really tricky variant. That's really good to know. I mean, you know, I wanted to protect myself, but a big reason why I wanted to get vaccinated is I want to get home to the East Coast to my people, and I didn't want to get any of my elders sick. I feel like part of my responsibility is to protect them. So I'm happy to know that even with that variant, that this vaccine is going to lower my risk of, uh, of getting any of my elders sick or any of the people that I love at home sick. Uh, Jocelyn, do you want to weigh in on this question about um, misinformation that's out there or, or pieces of information that you would like to get out? Yeah, definitely. I, I think. Um... One of the big reasons why we wanted to do this webinar and, and, and bring on people who are knowledgeable in, in that area is we keep hearing this, this um, term hesitancy, right? Vaccine hesitancy. And from a community perspective, we know that a lot of times when people are, are hesitant, especially around you know issues with uh, the healthcare system or any kind of institution or any kind of system, right? Um, that maybe it's not so much hesitancy, maybe there's an institutional or systemic barrier there that might, um, you know, prevent people or uh, from, from being able to access a, a vaccine or, or culturally safe healthcare, um, or maybe there's some kind of institutional barrier. So for example, um, you know, Janet might be able to, to speak about the amazing work that she's been doing with her partners, um, with, uh, with folks working with um, the unsheltered and, and homeless community, right? Um, that what we've done as friendship centers is try to reduce at least some of those barriers, right? Um, so like uh, hosting our own vaccine clinics um, because maybe it's it's too much of uh, a, a trigger or maybe it's too much of uh, um, un, un distrust to go to um, a healthcare center or a mass vaccination clinic. Um, maybe it's not quite accessible for folks. Maybe I know when they had the early testing center here in Ottawa, um, it was in a place that you had to travel quite a bit on, on a bus. And in those days, we didn't know very much about the virus. And so if somebody had children or somebody had maybe some other accessibility issues, it was an accessible site to even just get tested, right? So maybe that those kinds of things were preventing people from knowing um, where to go or, or how to access the vaccine. Um, some of the other things that we've been doing is um, uh, try to create cu culturally safer spaces, right? So if, if the Friendship Center themselves can't host a vaccine clinic, maybe we can send some of the workers over to the max mass vaccination clinics or, or partner with other um, organizations that are doing the clinic so that there's there's a familiar face when when somebody comes to the clinic, um, somebody who can answer their questions, somebody who looks like them, who will make them feel more at ease when when they do access those those clinics. So, um, I think we really wanted to reduce this stigma. Um, and if, if there are folks who are tuning in who who may not uh, either. Uh, want to know a little bit more uh, and maybe have some some of those barriers in, in front of them. Um, but we really also wanted to come from a place of, of not shaming um, folks who, who have not yet been vaccinated, but really try to open up the dialogue as to say, how can we better understand um, what what your thinking is, what, and try to see if there are some of those barriers that, that we can remove. So, you know, we've heard a lot um, about the, <laughs> some of the, the similar kinds of things around um, what's in it, what's not in it, uh, the vaccine um, and, uh, and people not trusting um, the systems that, that have been a part of it. Um, so yeah, I think those are the main ones and, and I'm really hoping that folks will engage or, or at least um, if they're working in the field as well, um, what other people have told them. Um, and that really will help us either provide information to the community um, and uh, to maybe help advise as to better ways that we can make sure that this is accessible for, for everybody. That's great to know. You know, I lived on Mi'kmaq territory for almost 50 years and my whole family got vaccinated really quick on the res at home. And I was stuck here in Toronto where I don't really know anybody and was saying, can, you know, can you send me vaccine and, and um, didn't realize that I could have gone to the Friendship Center. So I'm really happy to know that now and that I hope lots of people on this who like me maybe are living, you know, away from their territory for the first time. It's kind of weird to be in midlife and for the first time be off my 
territory. So it's really great to be able to make these connections. And I see already, I have a second question that they've given me to post to you, for you all to post a question to um, the viewers, but the questions are coming in already fast and furious. So I'm gonna go to question one, because I would like to get as many of these answered as possible, but for you, the viewers, so you know, um, so dedicated um, are the Friendship Centers to this uh, cause that even questions that we don't answer during this webinar, you will receive an email with the answer within the next 24 hours or so, which I have to tell you in the last few years, I've probably hosted like a thousand webinars. This is the first time I've ever heard where somebody will follow up with you afterwards. So pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Question number one is, and just jump in whoever wants to answer it. Can you explain what long COVID is? And that's from Kelly Benning. And I had never heard of that. Can you explain what long COVID is? Um, Nell, do you want me to take a stab at it and then you can pick up? Sure. Or? Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm lucky because I just heard a whole bunch of people at the Ontario Science Table talk about this, or maybe it's unfortunate. Maybe we'll see if this is helpful. Um, but so people are in the process of defining what it means, like standardizing it. Um, and then they just make up language that's hard to understand. But um, basically, it's having illness after you've recovered from the acute COVID illness um, that lasts for a long time. So it's also called post-COVID complications or infection. And actually it was one of my talking points around the vaccine because I would like um, everybody to have the opportunity to sit with a trusted healthcare professional, ideally somebody who's culturally safe or indigenous that you have a trust relationship with. So then you can make your own customized decision, right? Like weigh the risks and the benefits and get all your questions answered with no shame and your decision will be respected. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things though, is there's a lot of talk and heightened concern about the long-term side effects from the mRNA vaccines, right? But actually we've been using that technology for 10 to 15 years I actually went because in my day job, apparently I'm a research scientist and looked at those studies to see, because they've used it in cancer treatment to see like what were the long-term, were there consistent long-term things? So we can't say in 10 years, you know, if all of a sudden there would be like a complication, but the way that it works, um, the way that it has been used for over 10 years in cancer treatments, the way that now, hundreds of millions of people have been vaccinated with them, like for over a year now, we can say that it's a smaller risk, right? But long COVID happens in 10% of people, right? And it's like organ damage. It's like damage to your liver and to your kidneys. Um, it's like brain fog, right? So it's a real thing. It's so real that they're setting up special clinics, like for people. So they're over like, getting COVID, especially if you're vaccinated, you might not even know where it's going to be like a flu, but you're better, but you don't get fully better. You have trouble like shortness of breath. They're still trying to unravel all the symptoms. So there's a list of symptoms, but it's really about organ damage, damage that's permanent to your lungs, to your kidneys, to your liver. That's how I understand it. Now, what do you got to add to that? Can I, can I just ask you, Dr. Jan, before Nell jumps in, um, just for everybody watching, what's which ones are mRNA vaccines? Just so we know what we're yeah. talking about. Yeah, so those are the Pfizer and the Moderna, right? Okay. Um, and those are the simplest ones. Those are the most common ones. Of course, with AstraZeneca, we're not using it as much. It was good over the short term, like at the end of the second wave when we had vaccine shortages. Um, and it's actually quite good against Delta as well. Um, so, um, but yeah, the mRNA ones are the newer um, ones. Um, that use this mRNA technology that hadn't been used in vaccines and previously had been used in cancer therapy. Wonderful, thank you. Dr. Nell, did you wanna jump in on that or do you wanna feel the next question? Well, I think I'll just say briefly that, you know, when people were, when we're asking, I think Dr. Janet put into the chat about, you know, making that fully informed decision to be vaccinated. And that includes, you know, for yourself, analyzing the risks of getting vaccinated versus the risks of not getting vaccinated, right? 
So long COVID, we don't say it as much, but that is a potential risk of not getting vaccinated, um, more so than people who are vaccinated. And so I think that's a consideration for people because 10% is quite, you know, it's a, a significant proportion of people. And the other thing I'll say for Indigenous people specifically, you know, um, we in general have a hard time accessing the health system. And that's, you know, Jocelyn talked about that earlier. But I, I would just advise anybody who has had COVID illness, and if you're still experiencing some of those symptoms, you know, like the brain fog or numbness and tingling or loss of smell or taste for, you know, a while after you felt better, but like as Janet, Dr. Janet said, not quite, you know, not back to 100%, really reach out to your healthcare provider and get checked out because um, that's an important one. Um, and here in BC, for example, at the University of British Columbia, there is a long COVID clinic, as was mentioned, that they're popping up in order to provide service to people. That's really good to know. The next question from uh, our viewers, from Karen Rudy. Um, Karen would like to know, do we have enough research slash data to know how long two doses will cover us? I guess I can start on that one first. I think the short answer is no, not really, not enough yet. Um, you know, you'll, you're hearing now, I'm sure in the news that people are talking about booster shots or third shots. Right now, the primary series or the full course is considered the first dose and the second dose. But, um, uh, you know, for people who, for example, are um, elderly living in long-term care settings, uh, and people who are severely immunocompromised, there's already been uh, talk and some, some people have been given a third dose. I have a really good friend who lives in long-term care in Toronto who's actually received a third dose. So for those people, you know, that might, the third dose might be coming more quickly. For the rest of us, we don't know exactly how long the effects will last. And that that partly speaks to why we're so, I guess, uh, motivated to get as many of us vaccinated as possible because vaccines do two things. Uh, I say it kind of simple. They, they love to spread and they love to mutate. And so the longer that we go where we have people who are unvaccinated gives that virus that chance to spread and to mutate. And so you know, we don't know whether or not there will be other mutations other than the Delta variant um, that we may or may not need a, a third or even a fourth dose to address. But so far we know that the vaccines that we do have, the Pfizer and the Moderna are effective against the Delta variant. Thank you. Hey Nell, I think from all that seven hours, Nell was on a seven hour Zoom meeting and she's still talking. So um, good thing it wasn't me that was on seven hours Zoom. I actually got to go out in the real world a bit today um, and even have a meeting in a park. But yeah, it's the virus that likes to spread and mutate yeah, and the that. vaccine that will prevent us um, from uh, like, like that'll shut the virus down. So I think it's two V words, but um. Yeah, I think we can look at other countries, um, but again, so one advantage a little bit we have in Canada is we got the vaccine a bit late. It's actually working to our advantage, right? Because we are still, most of us still got vaccinated later than people, for example, like in the, the UK, right? So we will have immunity for longer, right? Um, I think some people that are immunocompromised can get a booster right away. Like if you're on immuno, like drugs that um, suppress your immune system because you've had an organ transplant, we're giving. So the clinic that Jocelyn talked about, it's called Odoje Mino Nisewanon, a beautiful Anishinaabe, where the place of healthy breathing, um, where a partnership between Native men's residents, seven generation midwives, Toronto and Well Living House. Um, and we started, um, we're coming up to our one year anniversary. We started as a testing clinic, um, and then we got vaccine. So, um, and uh, we have been vaccinating since February. Um, so um, we are giving boosters 
Um, so what we're doing, because uh, right now here in Ontario, if you're First Nations in elder care, um, you can get a booster. Um, and if you have a note from a doctor um, and you're immunocompromised, you can get a booster. But the thing is, as Dr. Nell pointed out, so many of us have barriers, you know, one out of three people of the 95,000 First Nations and Rudin Métis people in the city of Toronto doesn't have a family doc. Um, so yeah, you can call us at Odoje. There's also another phone line, call Auntie, um, and you can call and we'll get you linked into one of our clinicians and we'll fill out that form, right? So um, if you don't have a specialist um, and we'll review. Um, so there's, um, right now there's, a small number of people that have very specific conditions that can get the booster right away because they have to take medicines um, for their organ transplant or whatever other treatments they're on, like for their inflammatory arthritis um, that would have limited their body's um, ability to generate the response. Because eh? what the vaccine does, like it, all of them, they end up just making this spike protein, right? That, um, and uh, then basically, our body, and sometimes you hear about people, especially after second dose, or if you've had COVID, right? Um, you get it the first dose, you end up getting a flu and people are like, ooh, this is weird vaccine side effect. That's actually a good thing because it's your body kicking in and producing special warrior cells that are targeted to that spike protein. But yeah, tricky, I, tricky COVID changes, man. So I get the like, uh, flu shot every year and I always feel a little bit tired afterwards, but uh, that's good. I have asthma and it keeps me alive all year. So I line up for it every single year. Yeah, right. So that's a good thing because that means when you get your flu shot, feeling tired means that actually your body is doing its job of getting ready for that mm -hmm. flu virus. Um, so anyways, I think what Nell says, we don't really know, um, but we can follow what is happening. Most of us probably don't need boosters yet. Um, because we got the vaccine relatively late. Um, but um, if you're living in a shelter, so we say, because it's like, okay, First Nations in elder care. Well, we do have some long-term care facilities and elders residences here in Toronto, Wigwaman um, Homes, for example, right by the Native Canadian Centre. But a lot of our people are at home with multi-generational families, or if you're homeless, you know, guy in Toronto and an elder, yeah, your residence is Native men's residence. So we've redefined what elder care means. Um, we've written letters. So we're giving out some boosters. Um, so, um, but I think most of us don't need them. I don't think I need one yet, even though, you know, I was in clinic today, we're testing and vaccinating. Um, I can use PPE and my booster can um, go somewhere else in the world where they have no vaccine. Excellent, thank you. As I ask these questions, all three of you, if you all want to talk on it, go ahead. If you, if just one or two of you want to go yeah. ahead, you, you got, you just take the reins, my sisters. I'm going to jump in and ask the third question, um, and this one is from Leanne Lavoie. The question is: I'm concerned that I hear in the media about children being more impacted by COVID Delta in the U.S., but in my province of B.C., the actual statistics on age groups are not accessible on the COVID app any longer. I'm so worried for my kids that can't have the vaccine, but my partner says that kids are not high risk and to let them live a normal life. Am I over worried? When will there be a vaccine for under 12? Oh, Leanne, my heart breaks me. I'm so glad I'm not a mother in this time. This must be like mind boggling trying to figure out what to do for your kids. I think um, I'll, I'll take an early step, but I think now my, that was like a multi-question question. So my seven and a half hour, eight and a half hour into Zoom was kicking in. But for now, what, I, what we know is uh, for, for children under the age of 11 years of age, the, the vaccines, as you know, are, is not currently available. Uh, they haven't been approved yet uh, for use in Canada in kids that young. Um, but we do know that the, you know, the trials are going on right now uh, as we speak and have been, I think, for at least several months. And we are expecting approval for the younger ages, uh, probably late this year, early next year. We don't know exactly. 
And that's a reason why, like in general, uh, people will say children and young adolescents will have milder courses of illness if they become infected with COVID in general. But you will always see, and the media will tend to highlight, you know, that one case of a young person who uh, becomes severely ill or has even died. And, you know, so that's something to weigh in the balance that the, the, those numbers are quite low, but that those are the stories that are often featured, you know, on the news. But still, you know, I acknowledge that parents with children, I mean, there's so many uh, things to be worried about um, since this pandemic has come upon us, you know, the, the fear of your children becoming ill, uh, the lack of social interaction when we all had to, you know, basically stay within our own homes or lockdown as they called it. And, you know, now you see the stories of kids finally returning to school to in-person learning after many, many children had to do virtual uh, learning over the past year. But the other thing I'll note is, you know, there are some children, for example, who are also immunocompromised or who have uh, uh, some kind of condition that might uh, be very dangerous for them if they were to be infected with COVID. And that's why, again, another reason why we are asking people who are eligible, those who are 12 and older, to get vaccinated. If you think of your family unit, and sometimes, you know, multi-generational families, as Dr. Janet said, live under the same roof. If you think of yourselves as all being under that same roof or umbrella, everyone who's eligible to get vaccinated protects, for example, that young person who can't yet be vaccinated, protects that elder who may have had a kidney transplant or a liver transplant and can't be vaccinated. So it's that umbrella that families of, of protection that families give to each other. And then if you have every family in a community, for example, or in urban centers, if you have the majority of people under those roofs vaccinated, that's how we attain what they call herd immunity or community immunity. So it's about that looking after each other too. I think that's a part of it. Um, so as far as kids are concerned, young kids, not yet, but hopefully in the next several months or so, we'll get those approvals. And um, now I've lost the rest of that question. So I'll turn it over to Dr. Janet. Yeah. Yeah. So, and all I'm doing is just, um, yeah, I'm repeating everything that Nell, Nell said. So would, would you um, like me to repeat the last end of that question though? Um, or, or I can go on to the next. Um, I, I think you kind of captured it all now because really like the concern was about under 12, right? Her child under 12. Um, the next question is, is a very interesting one and one I have worried about because as an entertainer, the onus is upon me now to start getting on airplanes again. And I haven't flown since it's, since it's hit. And as a person with uh, some, you know, asthma and stuff, even though I'm vaccinated, I'm a little bit nervous. And this next question is from Julie Lacouture. And her question is, even if I'm fully vaccinated, can my unvaccinated friends pass the virus on to me when we hang out? Yeah. So the answer is yes. Um, so, and, but the other part of the answer is you probably won't get that sick, but then you could carry the virus and make other people, if they're in your circle, who are unvaccinated sick. So the thing is, I think I said in a webinar last year, I talked about COVID as a tricky relative. And some people said that was kind of reassuring because here I am, I'm just, it's like one of those tricky relatives that'll sneak into your party, like seem fine, but then um, yeah, make people sick. Delta is actually like a bully relative. Like Del Delta's a nasty old. It doesn't even sneak in, it comes, right? But the thing is, and we're worried about our kids, right? Like, uh, because they can't get vaccinated. But, you know, we put our elders, we put our kids at the center of the circle. So we can protect our homes from this bully of Delta. And all you gotta do is two things. The first one is as many people as can feel comfortable who are healthy, adults, right, and vulnerable 
adults get vaccinated, right? And the first step is find a trusted info source and we're here, right? We wanna be your trusted info source. You can ask all your questions, right? But some people even after all their questions are answered, they still will have a full informed consent not to be vaccinated. That doesn't mean you can't do stuff. The second step, just like um, we used to, like, you know, sometimes in winter where I come from, people would break up into smaller family groups on trap lines, right? Because you couldn't yeah. support a big group, right? You know, I've heard many teachings from different um, First Nations and, and Métis teachers about your, if a stranger comes into your community, there's protocols before you let them in, right? Yeah. So this is not the time, not until it sucks because it's been going on forever, but at least we had a summer. But right now is not the time to have big campfires. It's not the time to have big gatherings. You got to wait until we see what happens with this bully Delta, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, right now in Ontario, if we can reduce our pre-COVID travel across the board to 70%, if we can reduce our activity, how many people we meet on an average day by down only 30% to 70 COVID would start going away and we'd save tons of lives. But if we keep it at 80%, it's gonna keep going up and the curve looks horrible. So we can do two things to protect our home fires wherever we are. The first one is we can get vaccinated, right? And the first step of that is to get full and informed information. You can come down to a doji and we'll give you a grocery card just to sit and talk to us, okay? Um, you don't have to get vaccinated, man. Um, and, but hopefully lots of us will say, okay, I don't love it. You know, I'm not in love with Pfizer, um, but I feel good. I feel like I'm doing my role. It's aligned with my values to get vaccinated. And I'm going to stand in that circle around our kids who can't get vaccinated yet. Cause they're not going to be able to get vaccinated. The younger ones, right. Until like, uh, early winter. Right. So, and the thing about what's happening in the States, they only have 30% of the community got vaccinated, right? Then if you have a couple million kids in the States, bully Delta sucks, but it still relatively spares kids, right? But the thing is, if a million kids get infected, unfortunately, um, 10 out of that million are still going to get really sick and the media picks up on that and makes us scared and we can't think. But all we have to do is two things. Get vaccinated if we can. And the first step is make sure you get the right accurate information from a trusted source. And that's hard, but that's why we're here. And then the second thing is be careful. In our language, we have words about being careful. We're used to being careful, right? So be careful, like who comes into your home fire. Be careful when you leave your home fire, right? And keep your home fire small this fall. That's I think it. I'm going to stay around my home fire and continue to do my gigs over this computer. And, and you know what? That means I also won't have to put Spanx or pants on. So it's a win-win cool. for me. It's a win-win cool. for me on all fronts. <laughs> we have time for one last question. And this is a good one because this hadn't dawned on me till right now. But thank you very much, Mel Miracle, because are you related to Lee Miracle, one of my favorite writers? Um, this is a question I'm going to need the answer to in the next month. Should we still get the flu shot this year if we've had both COVID vaccines? Yes, yeah? extra yes, <laughs> because our hospitals are gonna be full possibly. And if you get the flu, you won't know if you have COVID or the flu, right? Um, so it's extra important to get the flu shot and the is COVID vaccine is clean, 14 like days. 14 days after the COVID shot, you get the flu shot? I believe the question is before you can get your COVID shot. I don't know, maybe now you know better, but you can't give a COVID shot um, if somebody's had a vaccine, if you've had your flu shot 14 days ago. But I don't know what how long you have to wait after COVID to get the flu. We can find that out and put it in the chat unless yeah. uh, Dr. Nell knows. Do you know Dr. Nell? Not off the top of my head, but I know that you have to wait a, a, a brief period. Um, yeah. I did see in the Q&A as well, someone was asking a question about, um, do I need a vaccine after I've had COVID? And it kind of relates, so I'll just squeeze it in there. Yeah. So yeah. it's really important for people uh, who have had COVID infection to also be vaccinated because we don't know how long for a particular person, how long that sort of what they call natural immunity after having had the infection will last. The only 
period of time you need to wait is uh, if you're no longer infectious. So if you are self-isolating, currently sick and symptomatic, uh, don't go to your vaccine, you know, drop in or pop up clinic to get vaccinated. Wait till you cleared that period of self-isolation and, and then you can go and get your COVID vaccine. That is wonderful. Thank you. Um, I just have to say for myself personally, hanging out with two Indigenous women doctors kind of just made my month, my year, my decade. Um, and uh, I hope that, you know, as well as all the great vaccine information, that that also sends a message out to any of those little girls who are out there watching about what is possible, my friends. What is possible? The world is yours. Go out and grab it. Um, I also want to really thank all the attendees who, who took part, who watched. Uh, I want to thank all three of these wonderful panelists and uh, the National Association of Friendship Centers for hosting this because this is so needed. Um, and it's, you know, for all of us who uh, aren't close to home right now, what a lovely thing to be able to come together here on this webinar and get some really key information. And I just, I wanna make sure I don't forget anything. So I'm going to my notes, which if you watch me a lot, you know. I just, before we, we wrap up, uh, Candy, and I can do this because we, we asked for the webinar so I can, but I just thought there was a really important question um, just to answer just before we close out about how do we maybe talk to people about, um, uh, who may be hesitant or do not believe in vaccines, or um, maybe we could do that just like, you know, sort of a lightning round of, of some suggestions. It just popped up as like one of the, like just a couple minutes ago. Um, oh, it must be in the Q&A. Uh... Yeah, yeah, it's in the Q&A. Um, just, I thought there would be a really good, maybe closer, just um, as we're... Just, um, tell me, Jocelyn, who's Who's is, it, who's is it so I can articulate the question for the translator? Sure, it says, uh, it's uh, from Victoria Stevens. It's in the last, uh, the last of the Q&A there. Okay, so the question is, how would you suggest approaching people who do not believe in the vaccines and present many symptoms of COVID to get treated in order to assist other direct contacts? So I think I can take an initial stab at that. There's a couple of, um, there's a couple of, there's two questions in that question actually. And the first one about talking to people who are um, maybe we're, we call hesitant, who are thinking about getting the vaccine. And, you know, probably the first step is to um, not berate them or send them a meme of some, you know, some anti-vaxxer type meme, like being confrontational is not the way to go. The way that we've even come to this uh, town hall today is with a sense of genuine curiosity uh, to find out, you know, what, what are your concerns? Because sometimes it's not even, it's not necessarily even misinformation. It's, there's a particular barrier or a particular anxiety that somebody may have. And if that's the case, if you can clarify the basis for why that person is hesitant to get vaccinated, then you can go to reputable sources of information like, like the Health Canada website or the Public Health Agency. Uh, Janet probably knows some local resources here in British Columbia. We have the FNHA webpage with frequently asked questions. Like I would just you know, encourage people to go to reputable uh, websites. For people who are ill with, with COVID symptoms, um, it's really important for people to get tested. And if they are in any kind of physical distress, shortness of breath, et cetera, chest pain, it's really, I know it can sometimes be difficult to access the health system, but it's really important that you do so. I have a very good friend who lives um, in, uh, in Ontario and her uh, partner was uh, sick with symptoms um, of COVID and just kind of was in denial, you know, and kind of thought, oh, I'll get better, or I don't need to go to hospital, or for some people getting to hospital is a real challenge, right, They're like people who live in remote and isolated places, and unfortunately, um, by the time he actually accessed care, he was too sick and he died, so, you know, there are real reasons why we want to encourage as many people 
um, you know, to get tested if you're sick, if you have symptoms, and to go seek health care if you need it for COVID symptoms and any other symptoms that you have that could be any other illness, right? That's the other thing we noticed during the pandemic early on. If you were having chest pain, for example, some people weren't going to the emergency departments because yeah. they were like, oh, I don't, it's full of COVID, right? I don't want to go there. So it's really important to overcome those fears and access the care that you need um, when you're not feeling well. Yeah, listen, build trust relationships with people they're your relative, right? Like, so you got to think about it in that relational way, right? Like, uh, and no judgment, right? Like we respect autonomy of decision-making. Um, and then um, the question about getting tested, yeah, we're doing everything we can. We do outreach testing, outreach vaccines at Odolce. Um, and we actually trained our own community members, First Nations, Inuit, Métis people to do our own contact tracing. And like Toronto Public Health said, our system was better than their system. Um, so yeah, we're trying to like work in our communities, build on our strengths and capacity, respect everybody. We got this, right? We got to work together. We're used to working together and respecting everybody's individual decisions. So if you're really not going to get vaccinated, that's fine. Do something else, right? Like uh, to protect your family and your community. We can all work together. We got this. I think another piece of, of to that, just I'll, I'll just add quickly, um, that I think some of it may also, uh, like folks are opting, to, there's, there are people who are now making traditional medicines or who have um, offered traditional medicines. And I think in my experience, what I've seen as well with, you know, people who have had cancer or even diabetes, um, that we don't have to choose one or the other that we can actually if we use both um like our medicines and what we understand with the western medicines um that that we you know it it, it really can't hurt and I, I think that's another piece of it is people are like well i don't know what's in that vaccine but i trust traditional medicines but um you know it doesn't have to be one or the other and and i think um if we're able to open our minds and, and use both um you know i, I always I don't think it can really hurt. Um, and, and I think we have other examples where we do those kinds of things, right? So um, I'm just hoping, you know, that that doesn't become a barrier where people think like, oh, because I'm using Western medicine, I'm somehow violating cultural or traditional protocols. But we've we've seen a lot of examples in our communities where, where we actually use a dual path um, and for our health in, in many ways. And it mental health and, and, and everything. It's, it, there's, there's a lot of examples that we use. Like excellent, that. excellent point. And again, I want to say thank you to Jocelyn Formsma, Dr. Janet Smiley, and Dr. Nell Wyman uh, for being here to field all these questions this evening. I want to remind you that more information is available. Um, you can find that information on the nafc.ca or your local NAFC location. Um, the whole message that we're trying to leave you with is, you know, be informed, make an informed choice, protect yourselves and protect your communities. That's really what we're, what we're trying to get out there. My name is Candy Palmiter. It was my pleasure to be uh, your cruise director for the evening, this evening. And we are going to end this in the same beautiful way we began it. We are going to try to signal out to grandmother Irene and um, try to get her to come on to give us a final closing prayer. Hopefully somebody is there to prompt her to, uh, if you can hear me, Grandmother Irene, you go ahead and turn on your um, camera now. And I apologize for the squeaks. I have uh, very bad arthritis in my hips. I have one, one replaced hip with works, works like magic, but the other one needs to be replaced. And I got a new chair in my room today and I didn't test it. And every time I move it squeaks. So I'm so sorry for all that squeak, 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 squeak. As we were going, I'll, I'll definitely WD-40 this chair before my next gig. Grandmother Irene, are you with us? I am here. Hello, hello. Is there anyone there to flip your, your camera on for you so we can see your lovely face? Is that on? No, but right in the bottom left-hand corner, you'll see a little icon that looks like a camera. If you click on that, we'd be able to see you. I'm mute. We can hear you, Auntie. We yeah, just we can't can. see you. It doesn't want to get me up there. <laughs>
but anyway, it's all the same. I'm so glad to see all of you here today, not, not smiling. I haven't seen you for so long. It's so nice to see you. We ask the Creator, thank you for all this information that we have. And for myself, I'm glad I, I heard all the things because there was a lot of uh, things in my mind that I didn't understand. So now it's a, a lot better. So I feel better now. So let us ask the Creator to keep us uh, safe from all these things that's all happening in our communities. I know sometimes it's pretty hard to uh, to not worry about yourself and all that, but I think it's the spirit in us, the giving spirit, the loving spirit in us that gives us the power to go and do all these things we need to do for our people. As we love our people, I love my people so much. So I think this is the way, this is the way we do things because of that. So we ask the Creator that there, thank you for this night and ask the Creator to watch our elders, our sisters that died in violence. Our little, our little people that are told that we need help, and also our, excuse me, our people that are dying of AIDS. So let us be safe and look after each other, like we, like we are doing here. So this is a very, very nice thing. I'm so glad I listened to all this. So we thank you, Greater, for all these beautiful things that we made today. With which, have a good evening. Thank you very much, Grandmother Irene. Stay yeah. safe out there, everybody.